Hello, folks. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being with me. This is the On Being Christian podcast, and we're somewhere, I think, in the 30s now as far as episodes that we have published. I hope you're having a wonderful week, my wife and I and family and those here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church are indeed having a good week. It's been very busy. Just when you think you've got kind of a window of time carved out for some reprieve, something happens, something fills it, but that's just the way it is. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve the Lord. We're thankful here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church for the opportunity to have this platform. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and I'm the pastor here in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have any questions or you'd like to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at www.wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. You can get a hold of me directly here at the office line under the drop-down menu uh, under the connection button or, or the contact us button, and my email is also there. Um, But without any further ado, I think we're going to continue with this little series. Now, we've never done a series on the podcast before. This is, I believe, the the first one, apart from maybe some connected thoughts concerning other things we've done. This is actually a series, and we're doing it out of Matthew chapter 5, and we're just looking at the first four verses. And if you have been around Christianity for any amount of time at all, you're familiar with the first 12 verses as the verses which are referred to as the Beatitudes. I'll just read those and then begin where we left off last week. Verse 1 says, And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that's where we're going to be today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye. When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, we started this some time back. This will be our fourth message or our fourth uh, kind of installment into this concept of these 12 verses, the context of these 12 verses, uh, or these characteristics within these 12 verses, is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. We started by looking at the poor in spirit, and then we did they that mourn, <clears throat> and we did they that, or excuse me, the meek. And we redefined that word meek a little bit last week. It's not necessarily something that is in keeping with the way our culture would define that word. It, it's much more broad than that. Let's look uh, today at verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hungering and thirsting. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
for they shall be filled. Let's define some terms here to sort of put us on the same sheet of music, and then we'll take a look into what this idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness looks like. The word hunger gives the idea, it's a word that gives the idea of pinching toil. Uh, it's, a, it's a word to famish or to crave. Now, you and I, as Americans, we have a hard time understanding the concept of hunger. Um, most of us listening to this podcast have never really truly been hungry. I've served in different places in the Marine Corps throughout the world, and one of the things that had always shocked me concerning different places that I had served as a Marine was what hungry people were willing to do. The, the lengths at which hungry people would go to appease that pain of hunger, and that's what that word hunger means. It's that pinching toil. In other words, where there should be sustenance that would calm you down, where there should be a fulfillment that would allow you to be um, pleased and content, there is none. No fulfillment, no sustenance, just a empty, pinching toil that gives the idea that instead of it just pinching, it's pinching and moving back and forth. Like it's looking, it's looking for sustenance. It's looking for something to, 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 to digest, if you will. It's looking for something to take um, nourishment from, and there's nothing there, which is why the word goes on to mean famished or to be in craving. Like I said, that's hard for us to to imagine, but that's the definition of the word. One of the most, uh, one of the times in my life where I've been more hungry than I've ever imagined I could be, uh, United States Marine Corps boot camp. When you're on what was then called the crucible, I'm not exactly sure how they do it now, but the crucible. When I was in the Marine Corps, when I was in boot camp back in 2001, it was a three day sleep depraved event where you were given uh, two MREs, or no, three. You were given three, but you and a buddy had to figure out how to use them. So you had a, a battle buddy. That was a term that came later on. We didn't use that term. You had a partner. You had a, 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 a combat you know, uh, attachment to you. And between the two of you, you had three MREs that were supposed to last you Three days, meals ready to eat, MREs, C-rations, whatever you want to call them. You had three of them, and you needed to divvy it out and separate it and make it last three days. You weren't really going to sleep a lot, and you were going to just be pushed to the absolute breaking point, physically speaking. And I remember when boot camp started, I was fantasizing and thinking about my family, uh, home. I was very homesick for a while, uh, friends, just the normal life, things that I immediately lost access to. Um, but by the end of boot camp, specifically by the end of the crucible, all I could think about was food. That is all I could think about. That is all I wanted. I wanted food. I wanted lots of food. I wanted all kinds of food. All I thought about was food. And that's the kind, the idea, the Bible says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted righteousness like you've wanted anything else? That's what we're going to talk about. One of the other words that was used to describe hunger is the word crave, 
which is a word in earnest to beg or to entreat. In other words, I'll let go of a lot of pride, a lot of depictions of how I view myself if you will only give me something to eat, if you'll help me solve this craving. That word crave is most aptly understood in this generation by those who are struggling with certain types of substance addiction. If you have ever had anybody in your life who has struggled with certain types of substance addiction, you understand that that craving will push them to do things that not only you, but they themselves never thought they would do. They'll go to great lengths to beg or entreat or to beseech the fulfillment of that craving, as evil as that craving is. The word thirst is also used here, which is in this context just a, a word that means to be very keen about a specific desire or a specific appetite. So it's not just um, I'm thirsty for anything. It's 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 a word that means I'm very needy over basically one thing, water. If you've ever needed water and did not have access to water, that consumption in your mind of always thinking and looking and 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 plotting about where it's going to come from, where you're going to get it, how you're going to live without it, that's what the term thirst means. Now, verse 6 also qualifies all of these terms. It says, after righteousness. The stipulation to this hunger and this thirst that we see in the first part of verse 6 is is clarified in the last part of verse 6 with the phrase, after righteousness. Okay, This stipulation and this hunger uh, and thirst is that it is directed toward righteousness. All else is just lust. In other words, in verse 6, blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Everything else that you and I tend to seek at this level, everything else that you and I tend to desire at this level is usually just for our benefit, which would put it into the realm defined as lust, not righteousness. Righteousness is a word that means equity of character or act. It's Christian justification as opposed to self-justification. You say, what's the difference? Well, I think you probably know, but let's just define it a little bit. Most often, as humans, we are very interested in the, uh, the projection of the image of ourselves that we want people to be uh, that we want people to see most, okay? So <clears throat> when we're shown things about ourselves that don't necessarily fit the projection of how we see ourselves, we usually lie about those things or we justify those things, okay? You've all seen it. I used to be a fighter, and so you get two guys get into the ring, and one wins and one loses, and they interview the loser, and he says something along the lines of, well, you know, on a healthy day I would have won, but I'm struggling with this issue, or I'm sick, or I'm fighting hurt, or I've got this little problem with my knee, or whatever, my back is aching. And they're always trying to come up with some kind of reason to justify why they weren't good enough, and it can't be because the other guy was better. That's not a justification. That's Because that would mess with their projection, their self-image projection. That would mess with it. So 
They can't accept the truth of the situation. They didn't prepare. The other guy prepared, and he got his head kicked in. That's the truth. So they have to come up with some kind of justification as to why they lost. This is how you and I approach Jesus Christ and God so many times. The Bible, the Word of God, the Bible says it's like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Word of God will show us who we really are. Not It doesn't show us a reflection of the image that we give to the world. It shows us who we really are, with no regard given to who we think we are. And when we see who we really are, when we get a full view of that, we, we do what this says here. We, we justify the things that aren't good enough. Righteousness is the opposite of that. Righteousness is Christian justification as opposed to self-justification. In other words, I am justified by the acts of Christ made available to me by the mercy of God. Without the mercy of God and the act of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking specifically about him dying on the cross, being buried, and raising from the dead for, for my sins— and justifying my life through his death on the cross. Without that, I am not righteous. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And so when I hunger, the Bible says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're talking about those who hunger or they're famished. They have that pinching toil. They're thirsting, which is that that very keen and very particular desire or appetite for the justification of Jesus Christ, not self-justification, which means we're going to put aside all of our projections about who we are and what we're worth. We're going to put aside all our echo boxes and reflections about what we might, uh, the value of us, what that, what that might be, and we're going to hunger and thirst after Christian justification, after righteousness, after the one who the Bible says God is well-pleased. That's his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to look at some Bible on this, Isaiah chapter 55 gives us a starting point. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says, Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come Buy wine and milk without money and without press. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that, uh, ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline, verse 3 says, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And then it goes on. And so you find this, this phrase there, uh, to everyone that thirsteth, come, come. It says, uh, uh, hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that, are, uh, ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. How often... <clears throat> So just be real with yourself. If you're by yourself or if, if you're with other people, just kind of think to yourself for a second. Can you ever, can you think of a time when you wanted to be in church in the same way or at a, at a greater level than you wanted to be in front of your television at home? 
Can you think of a time when your desire to be in the house of God, when you hungered and thirsted after righteousness so much that it changed the habits of you the day before, so that you you got enough rest and you and you got yourself cleared and your mind right, so that when you woke up Sunday morning and you could be in church, you could be there fully, totally committed. Do you approach Sunday in the house of God like you approach Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday in the house of your employer? Because the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What do you hunger and thirst after? And remember, you're not trying, I don't know you. You're not, you know, we're not looking eye to eye. These are just things the Bible's going to ask you. What do you want? Christian, I assume that you might in some way claim to be a Christian if you're listening to this podcast with a title like On Being Christian. What do you, Christian, hunger and thirst after? Is it the things of God or is it the things of this world? And if you're not thirsting after the things of God, what does that tell you about your subjective view your projection, if you will, of your own Christianity. If you stay in Isaiah, go to chapter 65, just 10 chapters over. Uh, Chapter 65, I'll start in verse 12, read down through verse 14. The Bible says here, Therefore will I number you, to the, uh, excuse me, therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter. I'm going to make sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be, because, yeah. <clears throat> therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called you, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Ashamed. Interesting. Being filled is not done by seeking that which you would like to fill you, but rather being filled is done by seeking the one who fills. Did you catch what I just said? Sometimes we come to church with a very particular agenda. Lord, I'm here for this reason and this reason alone, as if we know better than why we should be in church than the Lord does. And so we come to church with a very limited perspective of what we're there to hear, and then we don't hear the thing that we came to hear, and we leave thinking God wasn't interested in talking to us, and the reality is the opposite. In reality, we should have come to church just looking to hear the one who talks and let him decide what I needed. I don't know if you've got an old school mother like I had. My mother was from Pascagoula, Mississippi, and my father was from born and raised in Hartley, Iowa. Two different backgrounds there, um, but you had my mother came from. I don't know. I guess you could probably use the word poverty. Um, they just didn't have a lot. He, her, her dad died before I was born, and he was uh, a Navy guy. And her mom, stay-at-home mom, they had a garden, and uh, she had three older brothers. And uh, from what I understand concerning the things I've heard about them, um, or she had two older brothers and then a younger brother, and the brothers were crazy, especially the two older ones. 
They didn't have a lot. And she was awkwardly tall. My mom was 6'1". She died back in 2006, but she was 6'1". And um, she was probably close to that by the time she was 13, 14 years old. They couldn't keep her in shoes. And back then in Pascagoula, Mississippi, they would pave the roads in a lot of just, you know, it's right there on the coast. They'd use shell and coral and things like that on those back trailer roads. And so her feet looked like they belonged to a kid who grew up running around barefoot on roads made of shell and coral. She was awkward. She was tall. And uh, she didn't really have much of a toleration for people to complain about what she served. And then my dad, he came from Hartley, Iowa, exactly the opposite. We were a well-off family, hardworking father. Um, they, he, he, he provided very well for his family, his education, housing, uh, everything. But my grandmother, my dad's mom, very traditional. Uh, you didn't just sit down at her table without permission. And when you were at her table, you didn't get up to leave without permission. And then when you did, you washed your hands and brought yourself back for inspection. These are just things that I remember growing up. And um, my point is, is that from both my father and my mother, um, you sat down at the table and you ate what was on it. You didn't sit down and see what they were serving and then decide if you wanted to eat or not and then complain about it, especially not with my dad. God help you if you complained at the dinner table with what he was making. And he made some weird stuff. I'll tell you that. That's a story for another time. But you didn't complain. Sometimes we come to church in this world where we can have it our way. We can do whatever we want, get whatever we want, however we want it. And we expect the Lord to talk to us in the way that we're used to being talked to or talk to us and accept us in the way that we're used to dealing with other people. And folks, this is really just a simple truth. That's not the way it works. Never has. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? Are you hungry and thirsty for things as you would define them to be, things that you think are beneficial to you? Or are you just hungry and thirsty for the righteous one? And then whatever Jesus Christ as the righteous one decides to give you, which, by the way, he gives from across the pulpit, do I take it with an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude? Or do I reject it because it wasn't what I came here to get? Just a side note, the Bible says that God makes himself manifest through preaching. And so this idea that I can serve God anywhere, I don't need to go to a house of God, I don't need to go to organized religion and let some man preach at me. Hey, listen, I understand all those things, I get it. Um, But just very frank, I'm going to be very frank with you. Can you handle that? Are you ready? I'm going to be very, very pointed and very frank with you, and so you can Just get ready to either mute me or turn me up or listen or reject me. But let me just say this very, very matter-of-factly. Grow up. What you think doesn't matter as much as what the Bible says. And the Bible says God makes himself manifest through preaching. So if you want to have a relationship with God and you want to get to know the Savior of your soul, it's going to happen from across the pulpit of a solid New Testament Baptist church, and that's just the facts of it. You say, does it have to be Baptist? I challenge you to find a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the doctrine of the Word of God and doesn't end up being Baptist in some level. 
you say, well, that's pretty decisive. That's pretty, you're being pretty uh, exclusive of other people. I know. I'm sorry, but not really that sorry. Um, I know that this isn't about being a good Baptist, and this isn't about all those things. It's about being a good Christian, but there's a reason the Bible says the things that it says. I tell people all the time, I don't really care about religion. And as I grow older and I become more experienced in the ministry, uh, what little experience I have at this point, um, that's becoming more and more true. I, I, however, I however care a lot about what the Bible says, and through my independent study of the Word of God, there's not a lot of places that I personally could land apart from an independent Baptist church as far as uh, a system of belief that is directly connected to the doctrine of the Word of God, and that's just from me to you. You can take that for what it's worth. I look forward to your angry emails and letters. <clears throat> and so we've got, uh, we've got this truth here, Isaiah 65, uh, 12 through 14 is what we just read. Uh, verse 13, very specifically saying, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, my servant shall eat, but ye shall not be hungry. My servant shall eat, but ye shall not be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but ye shall not be thirsty. If you come to the house of God looking to ha connect with the one who fills instead of trying to decide what you need to be full, I promise you, you'll leave satisfied. The question really is, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Or are you hungering and thirsting after something else? Are you the definer of what is righteous? Or are you okay with understanding that you and I, we are only those things which the Bible says must obey. We are only those people the Bible says God loves and dies for, and we are to obey. We are to desire the doctrine of the Word of God. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, God will fill us. God is not not what it says. They that which hunger and do thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God will fill us. But if I hunger and thirst after lust, the things that make my name bigger, the things that make my cause um, more significant, the things that I define as worthy, if I hunger and I thirst after me and what I want, the end of that is not being filled. The end of that is total degradation and starvation. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4. Proverbs 27 and verse 4. No, I'm sorry. Proverbs 27 and verse 7. The Bible says this, the fool, excuse me, the full soul loatheth a honeycomb, but the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. This is a great verse. Let me spend some time on this a little bit. To the full soul, the full soul loatheth a honeycomb. In other words, when I'm so buried in excess ornamental luxury, I don't want anything else. You ever heard the phrase, what do you get the person who's got everything? That's, that's kind of the idea here is we think we have everything. We think that we've got it all figured out. And we come into the house of God with really like no desire to be here. We're just checking off a box. We're checking off a scheduled appearance. 
And in our box-checking scheduled appearance, we get nothing from the Word of God. We get nothing from the preaching. We get nothing from the Bible reading that we have. We get nothing from it. And we convince ourselves that because we're getting nothing, we must have achieved some kind of level of accomplishment. We're matured. We're there. We've arrived. We are the chosen ones. Folks, that's nonsense. To the full soul, the Bible says here, a honeycomb. And honeycomb, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I have personally watched people scour garbage pits in different countries where I have served as a Marine and pull things out of those garbage pits, those heaps, those piles of rotting, decaying matter and just be thrilled with what they found and immediately put it into their mouth. I'm talking about things that the United States Marine Corps and the different units that we served with throughout because they were no good anymore. They were rotting. They weren't worthy of us. And then someone came along and said, I have no such pride, and I will take it with attitude of gratefulness and enjoy. Now, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just using an example that expresses that people who are hungry find worth where people who are full, full, excuse me, don't find any. So if I go out into the world as a Christian and I don't deplete myself at all, I don't witness to anybody, I'm not living a life that's in any particular keeping with the doctrine of the Word of God, no one really understands that I am a Christian, I'm certainly not going to witness to them or ask to read the Bible with them or pray for them or invite them to church. I'm not doing any of these things. I'm not depleting myself. I'm bringing in, but I'm not sending out. Then you see what this verse is saying. At some point, you're so full because you're not getting rid of anything that even the sweetest thing in the world you will loathe. But folks, <clears throat> the people who go into this world and deplete themselves of their value. And I think I shared this story with you. I used to know a command sergeant major, United States Army. His first name was Les. And he told me, give your love away. Give your love away. You realize you go into this world, and you connect with people, and you love them, and you give your love away. You'll come back into the house of God hungry. You'll want to connect with the one who fills. You'll want to, uh, you, you'll be hungry and thirsty after righteousness, and the Lord will give you exactly what you need because He knows the future of your week, your month, your year. He'll give you exactly what you need, send you right back out. And because you love God, and by loving God, the Bible says you're going to love people. You're going to give yourself for them. You're going to deplete yourself of your strength, your encouragement. And then you're going to come back to the house of God, and you're going to get filled, and you're going to go back out. This is exactly what this is supposed to look like. If you put it into a physiological uh, realm of understanding, I don't know if you have ever competed or you know people who compete in endurance competitions. I've done a few of them, nothing very impressive, but I did used to, I used to fight in tournaments that were referred to as pancreation tournaments. If you look up the word pancreation and you'll see what it is, it's an old school method of, uh, of combat, uh, the, the combat sports, where basically 
you would put your name into the hat and there are no weight limits. There are no timed rounds. There's no, you know, there's, there's no rules like that. You would fight until you lose. And so they put two people together. And if you lose, you're out. If you fight, you go to the next round and you would go and it would start at six, six thirty in the evening and you go well into the later hours of the evening until you come down to just two fighters left. And I'll tell you this, I, uh, I used to fight in these pancreation tournaments and I had, I think it was like the third or fourth, fifth, uh, third or, or fourth fight into the evening out of what turned out to be, I think nine fights, third or fourth fight went almost 17 or 18 minutes nonstop. Okay. <laughs> you know what you do after that before you go and take your next fight card you're looking for something to put in your body i need some electrolytes i need some protein i need some recovery products i need some vitamins i need some water why because you've just given that all to the cause and you're looking to replenish what you've gotten rid of. You understand this physically. If I'm out working all day, I'm going to be drinking more water. If I'm lifting and getting a good exercise in, I'm going to be eating more food. Well, if I'm doing the Christian life correctly, I'm going to be hungry when it comes time to sit in the house of God and hear the preaching of the Word of God. I'm going to, I'm going to need it. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. After righteousness, if we go back to our text, Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> it says there in Matthew chapter 5, and I think our, our text verse is verse 6, it says, um, whoops, I need to make sure I get to where I am or where I'm supposed to be. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then it simply says this, for they shall be filled. For they shall be filled. The word filled as a word means um, to, to be satisfied. To be satisfied. I don't need anything else. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm ready for what's next. <laughs> Folks, do you ever wonder sometimes about the world that we live in? Sometimes my mind just goes on um, these contemplative paths, if you will, and I wonder. We have more opportunity, more jobs, more information, more education, we have more of all of it. And in many instances, it's available at our fingertips for free. The only thing it requires is a little bit of effort. We have a great uh, potential for you to get yourself involved in a cause and to stay faithful to that cause for the duration of your life or the duration of your career at least. And yet that's not what we have going on. We have exactly the opposite going on. We have people who cannot be filled no matter how much they take in. They take in forms of entertainment, sustenance, substances, food, drink, 
uh, party relationships. We live in a very consumer-centric society, and that consumer-centric society has reduced everything down to usable and discardable items. And people are very full, but yet they desire so much more. They're very not satisfied, but they've got a lot. And everything that they have isn't bringing them any peace. Everything that they have isn't giving them any any solace. Why? Because they are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're hungering and thirsting after the lustful things of this life that remove the purpose from their life. You know, folks, our purpose is not to go through life happy. There's nothing wrong with it. But our purpose is to be useful, to be uh, purposefully and profitably useful in the life of someone else and for the cause of Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Well, I have to deplete myself of all of the things that I'm holding so that when I come into the house of God, I'm actually hungry and thirsting after righteousness. I'm pursuing it. I'm craving this a connection to Christ in an earnest and beseeching way. I'm begging and entreating. I want an appetite, a very keen and desirable appetite towards one thing, connection with my Savior. Uh, Adam, or not Adam, excuse me, David understood this. David said, uh, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He said, I have desired one thing, that is to be in the house of my Savior, the house of the Lord. These are things that Christians tend to not want anymore. So we live in a world where everyone's Christian. Everyone. <laughs> and I'm not out here to knock down certain things, but I live in a city that is predominantly uh, owned and operated by one religious entity. And that religious entity reduces the divinity of Jesus Christ to nothing more than a prophet and the brother of the devil which is, by the way, found in absolutely no part of the Bible. Not one part. And then we, we ask ourselves, why are we so dissatisfied with life? Why are we so hungry and, and, and lonely? Well, I think it's because we're hungry and thirsting after the wrong things. The Bible says if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be filled. So if I'm not filled, then I'm hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. And as a Christian, if I'm not filled, it's because I've most likely tried to reduce the Christian walk down to some kind of 12-step program. Instead of it being a relationship with God the Father, it's a requirement with some cultural, denominational program. And I just don't have time for that. I don't believe in it. I don't have time for it. I think it's a bunch of nonsense. Those who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness shall be filled. There is only one who is righteous, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the only begotten Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. There is no other begotten of God. He's it. He's the one. John 1, 1, he in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God, or the Word was God. It goes on to say that this Word was with him by the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, when I hunger and I thirst after righteousness, I will be filled. 
When I hunger and I thirst after religion, it'll leave me wanting. When I hunger and I thirst after religious connection or religious uh, aristocracy or religious um, perception, I'll be filled. Or excuse me, I'll be, I'll be uh, wanting. I won't be filled. And so if you have defined yourself as a Christian, yet you're very unsatisfied with this life, if you have defined yourself as a Christian and yet you're very dissatisfied with your perception of what God is and who God is and how he's involved in your life, may I just kindly point towards the possibility that you are hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. You're hungering and thirsting after those things which might bring glory to your own name, but certainly won't bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, some of these things that I've said today, I know they're not politically, quote-unquote, correct or religiously accepted, but I want you to understand, I think the time for all that, I think doing that has got us into where we are, trying to compromise and and make everyone happy. When everyone's happy, no one's happy. If I don't stand for anything, I'll fall for everything. I think the time for all that's passed. Christianity is not something that you and I get to define. Christianity is not something that religion gets to define, regardless of what kind of self-proclaimed prophet redefines it. And by the way, that's what most cults are. A cult is something where a man came along and said, I've had a new revelation, and my revelation is superior to all other revelations because I am better than men. I'm special, and you should follow me. This is evident in all different types of cults where men have the final say, or where men, God help us, define themselves as infallible. That's ridiculous. That's a cult. There is one righteous. His name is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And for us, you and I, to have a relationship with God, we must hunger and thirst after righteousness, not after culture, not after religion, not after the preacher's opinion, not after mom and dad's approval, after righteousness. If you jump over to Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, look what the Bible says here. It says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that, that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now Wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says, prove me. Prove me, and I will open the windows of heaven. When God fills, he does it in such a way as to remove all doubt concerning who did it. I want you to understand that. When God fills you, You'll know it. Why? Because it's going to be pouring out of every lid and over the top of every surface. He'll do it in a way that no one doubts, least of all you, exactly who did it. The Bible says, prove me. Prove me. And see if I don't open the windows of heaven. You say, what does that mean? I challenge you to do exactly what the Bible says in every area of life and see what God doesn't do in your life. But see, we often, we don't want to do what the Bible says in every area of life, but we want the God who wrote the Bible 
to give us what we want in every area of our life. And if we won't do anything as in relation to what he's asking us to do, why would he do anything for us in relation to what we're asking him to do? I have some very simple rules in my home, and one of the rules is that any sort of privileges rise and fall off of the fulfillment of the basic things that we request of you. So in my house, there's some basic things. Making your bed and cleaning your room is a basic thing. Being respectful and not back-talking to your mother and, and your father is a basic thing. Being considerate and putting each other first is a basic thing. Not having to be asked to do the things you know are right, that's a basic thing. If you want additional privileges in life, and by the way, as their father, it's my desire that they would have them, that's my desire for them is to give them additional things, but I can't trust them because they're not fulfilling the basic things in life, then that's a non-starter. Well, the Christian life is the same way. We want God to do what he wants, excuse me, we want God to do what we want him, want him to do for our benefit, but we won't do anything for his benefit. How does that work? We want to be filled, but we want to be filled with what we want. And God says, no, I'll fill you, but it'll be with what you need. If you've got little kids, you understand this. Can you fill a kid on Twinkies and Oreos and chocolate milk? Sure. Yeah, you can do that. Would it be good for him? No. No, it wouldn't. Now move that over to the Christian life. You think God wants to give you everything you ever wanted? No, he doesn't. He wants to give you everything he's always wanted for you. Do you understand the difference there? So what do you hunger and thirst for? Do you hunger and thirst for the very selfish depictions of your self-projection? Do you hunger and thirst for what you want, for your benefit, for your status, for your glory? Or do you hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God for his purposes, for his glory? Which one is it? True Christians will hunger, which is that word to, to be famished, to be in pinching toil, and they will thirst, which just means that they have a very keen and very particular appetite for righteousness, not for their own life. I know some of these things are hard, folks, but I want you to understand, you get into these situations as a Christian, we define ourselves as Christians, but we don't seek the Lord with any aspect of our life. We define ourselves as Christians, but we don't serve the Lord on any sort of regular basis. We define ourselves as Christian, but we don't darken the doors of God's house because we've justified some kind of reason not to. What do you think would happen to the world if Christians decided to be faithful to the house of God? What do you think would happen to America, and I dare say almost overnight— if Christians decided to put each other first instead of their own selves, if Christians decided to love the Lord, if Christians decided to be hungry and to be thirsty after righteousness, how do you think that the world would change? And I dare say probably almost overnight. Now let's back that from micro down to macro. How would your life change, Christian? How would your life change tomorrow if you hungered and thirsted after the righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ more than anything else? If you made your decisions 
particularly the decisions about employment and time spent with family and friends, if you made your decisions in a way that it didn't pull you out of the preaching, do you think that that would affect your life? Do you think that the God of heaven would see that and honor that? I think that he would. And according to Malachi chapter 3, he knows that he would. And so he says, prove me, try me, and see what I don't do. One of the things I said to my children when they were younger, when they uh, perhaps were being particularly ornery, is I would say to them in the middle of them doing whatever it was that they were doing, I would look at them, point to them, and point to the thing and say, do it again. See what happens. Very rarely did they ever do it again. They understood what would happen. Now, that's a negative sense. Translate that over to the positive sense. The Lord says, do what I tell you and see what happens. Christians, I dare you. Do, it, do what the Lord says and see what happens. Serve him with your whole heart, your whole mind. Love others as with, with everything you've got. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians, loves the church and gave himself for it. Give yourself to your wives. Husbands, the Bible talks about, or, or wives, the Bible talks about submitting yourselves to your husbands. And I know that's an ugly word, and everybody just recoiled at the thought of obedience. I understand that. But it's in the Bible, and the Lord says, do it and see what I don't do for you. See if I don't bless you. Interesting thought, isn't it? So blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for their, excuse me, for they shall be filled. So folks, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I don't take it lightly that you give me a little bit of your time. I very much appreciate it, and I'm honored by it. I do want to say that if you have any questions, like at the beginning, get a hold of me at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H. Front Baptistchurch.com. The Wasatch Front Baptist Church is the church that uh, sponsors this ministry, the ministry of the On Being Christian podcast. Thank you for being with us. Let's pray and we'll do our own thing. Father, thank you so much for loving us and thank you for being our Lord. Teach us, Father, how to truly hunger and thirst after those things which matter and to not so much be inclined towards those things that don't. We love you and thank you for being our God. In your name, amen. We'll talk to you later, folks. Have a great day. Stay cool.